Good morning, Mars Hill. There's lots of grace and peace in this room this morning. If you want to make your way to your seats, we'll read our teaching text this morning. So continuing our journey in Psalms, today's uh, teaching text is Psalm 121. If you're using a Shed Bible, you can find that on page 571. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Tim, and I love to drive. I did over 30,000 miles last year behind the driving wheel of the car. Most of these road trips, of these journeys over the years have been smooth, safe. And then some of them have been taken on the ragged edge and outer limits of minivan suspension. You may see this guy on the highway, steer clear. It was as if every pothole was certain doom on this one. And then sometimes the suspension gets totally sunk on these road trips. Yes, that truck has tires. But we know what it's like to go on a trip, to go on a journey. Sometimes you get stuck or stalled, but we still do it. People are still taking road trips with $8 gas, us included. I love it. And we're going to keep doing such a thing. Now, the music on the road trip, that's key, right? I mean, the snacks, there's not overloading your suspension. There's all those things. But the music is pretty key. For me, some of these times, it's kind of like just, I want, I want to feel something. So there's, there's, there's a Springsteen album I listen to, and I want to get in touch with my emotions. Then there's, you can just kind of get out on the open road and throw some Seeger on. You can throw that, do that song Greg let us in up here, right? Uh, guide my feet. And then there's, you know, sometimes you want the club jams, right? The sandstorm, got a reference last week. Or my wife made me this road trip mix when we were young. It's like, every time we touch a feet. Anyway, right? You, you, may, you may know the one. <laughs> Stuck with me. What's, what's a favorite road trip song from the room here? We were, we were loud on the joy box. How about some music? What's a favorite road trip song? <laughs> on the road again, Willie Nelson. <laughs> Love that? Love that? You too. Convoy. I don't know that one. Sweet Caroline. I learned this week while looking at road trip songs that most of the top American road trip songs have been, were written between 82 and 87. And right in the middle, yeah, gas was 98 cents. Road trip was big. And so was White Snake. I mean, what a jam. Here I go again. Right? So we know that the music 
It's key to this experience. And today we get the opportunity to look really at the, the, the road trip mix of the Psalms. Inside the mixtape of this beautiful book, we get the journey, the, the pilgrim songs. And we call them, or they are known historically to us as the Psalms of Ascent. And there are 15 of them from 120 to 134. 15 tracks on the CD, right? It's, it feels about right for a long road trip. And they are just a fascinating group. Oftentimes, some psalms seem like they're kind of a one-off. Some seem to work together, but this kind of works in, in concert. And they go from 120 to 134. The most requested of us, of ours from our congregation, is 121. And so we'll get back to that later. That was our teaching text. Now, indulge me for a moment about these particular psalms. Like I said, not all come as a group like this, but there are 15. Interesting. Sometimes they are to be sung or can be sung in order, kind of 1 through 15. There's a lot we can play around with in there, but, but they do move from one place to another as if they're ascending, hence the name, moving up from a place that is lower to a place that is higher, which makes total sense because traditionally these were the songs that were sung by the pilgrims who moved from the lower places of the land of Israel up to Jerusalem for one of the three key feasts of the year. Jerusalem is a high place. I have a dear friend who's preparing for a trip and she is wondering how she's going to walk up all these places because it's a hike to get to Jerusalem. Hence the ascent. Now, there are three festivals which these songs are sung in pilgrimage to. We've got Pesach, Sukkot, and Shavuot. Now these take place on the 15th of the month. There's also 15 psalms. And now the pilgrimage on the 15th of the month of these festivals goes up to the temple, at which place there are 15 steps between the lower courts and the upper courts on which the Levite musicians would sit and play these songs on the eve of each festival. So there's something here. It's as if each psalm may have been uttered on one step up to worship in the temple from a lower place to a higher place. Or these are the songs that have a call and response as the caravan of pilgrims is moving up to Jerusalem. Like Sweet Caroline, there's always the bop, 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 right? I wonder, is it something where like, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? Oh, grandpa fell asleep. Shoot, in the back, they're waiting for an answer. My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth, and people would sing these on the journey, on the way. But like any journey, there's a starting place. And that's what I want us to hone in on today. Before we get to 121 and 126 and 134, this great blessing at the end, there is Psalm 120. It starts off like this. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. Now, I've been stressed out packing for a road trip, but not this bad. This is an interesting starting place, and I think tone has everything to do with it how we read these words. And I think we want to take the author here at face value and say, I call on the Lord in my distress. 
all is not well and all is not right. I need to get somewhere other than where I am now. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues, as if the truth is hard to find around this pilgrim. The stories in the scripts that are surrounding these people are lies, and they need to get something that's true. And the psalm continues, this is verse 5, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, and live among the tents of Kedar. So come up on the next slide. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, and when I speak, they are for war. It's as if they're dissatisfied with where they are. And not only naming lies that are around them, but they name specific places. The psalmist is saying, woe to me that I dwell in Meshach and Kedar. Now this is not two towns near each other. It's not like Holland and Zealand or the hard to pin down Wyoming near Granville, right? These are two separate places. They can't live in both at once. One is far to the northeast of Israel, one is down to the south. So this psalmist is saying, actually, not that I live there at once, but, but emotionally, I am in the midst of these people and places that in historic literature have been pointed to as barbarous and murderous and idolatrous. So it's not that they actually live there, maybe, but that it feels like the, the ethics of those people and those places are here. It's like in the end of one of my favorite holiday movies, speaking of Christmas in July, kids, Christmas Vacation, look around you, Ellen, we're on the threshold of hell. <laughs> no, you're not actually, but it feels that way. And that's what this psalmist is getting at here. It feels like I'm in a place where I can't stay and nothing is right, I'm surrounded by lies. The walls are closing in. There's nobody that wants peace with me. Maybe you've been in an office setting, a work setting, a relationship at home or inside with yourself or in a season where it feels like that is the case. And where you are, you know that you can't stay. That's where the psalmist is inviting us to start on this journey. It gives voice to those of us who feel stuck or trapped and are fed up with the lies, be those told about us or told by us. Addiction and dysfunction. Too long, that's a great line, too long have I lived here or with this pattern and I'm done. I think that's an appropriate tone to read this psalm with. I am just done. And this is the start of the journey. The journey, the pilgrimage, it, it, possibly it begins like one of our road trips where we know where we are and where we're headed. And other times, friends, I think especially in the spiritual journey with Christ, you might not know where you are headed, but you sure know it's not where you are. Too long have I lived in this place. And the psalmist for us in 120 names clearly that there are those places and that there are lies and trouble associated with it. And so as those who are going on the journey with the psalmist, we must pause too and ask ourselves, where is that place for us? 
What lies are you entangled in? Where is a place that is present where you know you cannot or should not stay or go? Now, this may be a place that others know of or see in your distress, or it may be something that has been hidden and secret for far too long. In fact, no one may know if you leave that place. And that's how we want to play pretty loose with the journey metaphor today. Because as Denise uttered to us, God has called you here for a reason, and I think the Spirit has some business on a journey to do with you this morning. Where are the lies? What are you entangled in? Is there a place you are that you do not need to be? So it was with the younger brother in Luke chapter 15. The text tells us after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country and he finds himself in and amidst the manure and the spent feed of pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with something good. He longed to get out of the lies, but no one gave him anything. And then verse 17, when he came to his senses, Psalm 20 is a coming to the senses. In the pig pen, he comes to his senses. How many of my father's hands have food to eat and despair? I will set out and go back to him and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I, I'm, even though I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, I, I want to come back. And here's the movement in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. This psalm, this story, this narrative assumes movement. The first move is God's, and almost every move is God's. And yet there is an invitation from the God who moves for us to move too. And that's what we get in the ascents, these psalms that call us to go from one place to another, from a place that we need not be to a place that God is calling us to go. So he got up, he came to his senses, and he went to his father. It's as if this, this string is tied through all of Scripture, and we see this picking up by Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Leave your nets and boats and follow me. Come on. John chapter 5. Take up your mat and walk to the man who was just healed of his lameness. Or even more boldly, when we consider the places in which we are trapped and stuck and the lies that surround us, when in John chapter 11, Jesus saunters up to the tomb of the dead and he says, Take away the stone. He says, Lazarus, come out. Death will not hold you. The place that surrounds you cannot contain the power of Jesus calling you forward from one place to another. It is time to go, friends. Too long have we lived amongst Meshach and Kedar. Let us take up the call of the scriptures and come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. 
and not stay where we are. I am trusting that the Spirit has called you here and prepared you to see the spaces in which we are no longer meant to inhabit as children of God. There are places we are called out of entangled lives in which we cannot live in anymore. But the first step is not alone. Jesus didn't say to the man who, who was lame, why don't you walk over here and then I'll heal you. Then we'll go on a journey. It doesn't work that way. I'm sure he would have loved to stretch his legs a bit after getting healed, maybe feel his toes. But instead, Jesus immediately says, take up your mat and walk. And I think the same call is to us and in the Psalms that there is a place for us and a place for you to go. And Jesus apparently isn't waiting that long to say, come and join what I'm doing. Get on the journey. Too long have you lived there. And so would we respond? Would we be the people who can name the lies as clearly as the psalmist and take a step with Jesus on the journey? So many of us, that's an invitation for today, for right now, to name that place and then go a different way. And for some of us, there's a journey that we have been on and are on currently. And that's where Psalm 121 comes in. It shifts gears a little bit from the, the angst of Psalm 120, the starting place. And then it moves to a pilgrim on the journey, on the way. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from, says the psalmist. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I was confused about this psalm for a long time. Maybe it was the King James that I heard it with, right? I lift my eyes up to the hills, from whence cometh my help? And for me, I, I didn't grammatically break that down. I wasn't diagramming sentences at the time I heard that. And so I literally thought for so much of my life that the psalmist was just saying, look to the mountains, they're really darn pretty. Help's got to come from there. But when in fact, that's actually not what the psalmist is saying at all. The question is, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Why? Because they're asking the question, where does my help come from? If you're on a journey, you're looking to something outside of yourself when you're getting tired. You're weary. And in the mountaintops, I mean, they, they didn't have these beautiful iPhone photos of mountaintops in first century Israel, right? Didn't happen. There wasn't like things over their dining room table that Aldo Leopold and other people took these pictures of. They looked to the mountaintops for help because that's where the, the shrines and the temples and the altars to the pagan gods were in the high places on top of these knolls and mountains that would lead from the outlying regions up to Jerusalem would be the temples of Baal and Asherah where sacrifices are made. And there's tons of them where the pilgrim who has their eyes set on the one temple gets easily distracted. And there are priests 
along the way and acolytes of these other gods who are wooing and calling out to the one on the journey saying, hey, come here and take a break. Come here, make a small sacrifice and this deity will bless you on your way. They will bless you along the road and keep you safe. All along the journey, there's distraction and invitation to more lies, oftentimes similar to the lies you just left. There are voices calling you to just make a small sacrifice, take a small detour to this place or that, and it will bless you on your way. The seduction of that when you are tired and thirsty. So that is why I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And I think it's the pilgrim actually saying, can I get help from these other places? I kind of know they're not right, but maybe I can get a little bit. They have some water, right? And then I think this is where the call and response of the caravan comes in. If the leader who maybe is most tired of paving the way says, I lift my eyes to the hills, look at these opportunities in front of us. That from behind, the the folks following up say, no, my help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth, the one who made those mountains, who does not slumber nor sleep, who will protect you and not let your foot fall. So do not be distracted on the journey is what Psalm 121 is telling us. To hold fast and faithful. Do not look to the lesser gods. Look to the one who has called us. And this psalm is so beautiful. It continues on. And my favorite part is that it it is at the end in verses 7 and 8. Whereas there's promises that say, no, this is the God you're after. And then to close the psalm, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. And the Lord will watch over your coming and your going now and forevermore for the rest of the journey. The one who has called us and begun a good work in us is faithful to complete the work. And so in the same way that many of us have named, where's the place we're leaving that we can't stay? What are the distracting voices right now that wish to pull you off the way? What's vying for your attention, offering quick fix or temporary respite on the way, the journey with God? The secret the fighting that lies in this text. The Lord will keep you from all harm and watch over your life. For a people who were on pilgrimage with very practical questions, hearing that God will keep you from all harm means that God is on the journey with you. Again, this isn't something we do alone. But together and with Jesus, the living God, the King of glory, who walks alongside us on the way up to the temple, on the journey. And so, friends, maybe the invitation for us in Psalm 121 is to dance with who brung you. He who started the work was faithful to complete it. Let us be faithful and undistracted along the way. To name distraction 
And if it's helpful to tell a friend, tell a pastor, pray through that and say, this is, I want to go here, but I feel called here. And let's try and pray into some alignment where, where we join with where Jesus is taking us. And we name with the psalmist the temptation. And then, with a great cloud of witnesses, we continue on and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who calls us on the journey from death into life, from entrapment in an addiction and into freedom. And may we remain undistracted on the way and come back quickly when we fall off the path, knowing that God, like the Father in Luke 15, is open arms. Come on back in. Come to your senses, children. And so I'd invite you this week to take the journey with the Psalms of Ascent. They're mostly really short. Maybe you commit each day to read through them throughout the day. Would it be that every hour you'd take a pause, read a psalm? 120 through 134. Or maybe it's two a day. Maybe you go on a week-long journey. Maybe it's breakfast and dinner with whoever happens to be around your table or nearby on a phone call. Maybe, maybe you go that direction. But go on the journey this week and maybe tell somebody what you're leaving and maybe where you hope to go. In fact, we'd love to pray with you through that if that's something that our pastoral staff or our prayer team could do with you. So we get going. Start the journey. We're able to name the lies of where we were. We fix our eyes on where we're going and the one in whom we are going with. And let's go. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful that you give us not just your presence, but a roadmap without clear destination other than your arms and your companionship, but tools along the way. And so, Spirit, would you work in this moment to convict us, to help us name as clearly as the psalmist those places we need to leave and the distractions along the way. And would you fill us with your spirit, nourish us and supply us for the journey ahead. We ask this in your great mercy and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And like any good journey, we are fed along the way, both in presence and provision. And so friends, I invite you to stand. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Oh God, how right and good and joyful thing it is that truly at all times and in all places we can give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so, Lord, we join with the great cloud of witnesses, with the voices of the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven who sing this hymn to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so God, we pray that you would send your spirit, that it would be upon these elements, this bread we break and the cup that we bless, that it would be unto us the companionship of our Lord Jesus Christ on the way. The communion of Jesus. We're grateful, God, that you meet us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me be seated. For it was Jesus who at the Last Supper took the bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said to them, This is my body broken for you. And after the meal, he takes the cup and he pours it and he says, This is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. It's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do. We come to the table to be fed and sustained on the journey. To let us know that we do not walk alone. That Christ in us and with us. In the power of God. And so we have a chance as we eat together as a family of four tables around the room. We have a spot that during that time you can pray, put a prayer in the prayer wall, light a candle. Brian's back in our prayer room, would love to pray with you or for you if there's some things that are being stirred up that God wants to do in places God wants to call you. We would love to do that. And so in doing so, we rehearse the great story and we proclaim together the mystery of our faith that Christ has died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So come, friends, take and eat, for all things are now ready.